Hello and welcome to the Conclave Cast. We are a group of writers who connect debut fantasy authors with readers on the hunt for the next titan of the genre. Every few weeks, we will introduce a new world, a new tale, and a new author, so you can learn the story behind the story and meet the creator behind the pen. I'm your host, Tim Fasciola, and I hope you enjoy the show. Joining me today is our very own Josh, and today's special guest is debut author Stuart Greystone. Stuart, welcome. Thanks so much, Tim. Um, look, any, any opportunity to, to chat with, with other authors is just really special, so thanks for having me on board. Of course. It was an absolute pleasure to get to read Soul Tempest, and we're, we're so excited to share this story with our listeners because we know that they're, they're just absolutely going to love this world that you've created. Um, I'm going to share the blurb from the book with our listeners now. 15-year-old Axel Knight spends most of his time lost in his imagination, anything to escape the crushing boredom of quiet suburban life. When he watches a mysterious police officer annihilate a monster with a snap of his fingers, Axel is pretty sure that quiet life is over. As a recruit in the Otherworld Police Department, Axel soon finds this new world has everything he's ever wanted. Swords, true companions, mythical creatures, big fireballs, and a league of soul-powered warriors sworn to protect the innocent. But adventure and excitement come with a heavy cost. Axel's powers manifest in only one fiery flavour, chaotic destruction with no hope of control. As Axel desperately fights to earn his place at the academy and not exploit his friends, a wave of strange monster attacks sweeps the globe and the other world's most feared crime lord plans to steal a power greater than any other. Ooh, like you just have so much going on here. So many, like, I don't even know where to begin because there's so much I just want to like sink my teeth into. Um, this concept of the other world, like these, these, th- this th- being a teenager, I think like we can all relate to this concept of boring reality and wishing an other world existed for us, right? Like, so talk to me a little bit about the origins of Soul Tempest. How did you create this other world? And like, you have so many, like, so much rich magic and these this diverse cast of characters. Like, this did not happen for you overnight. I'm assuming you, like, you must see Axel in you in some capacity. How long have you been working on this? And where, like, bring me back to the beginning. Where did this all begin? Yeah, sure. Um, sure. I, I'm, maybe I'll just kick things off with a really, uh, really disturbing stat. And this is, uh, I've been working on this book for just over 10 years. So that's, that's how long it sort of took to get to the, the published stage. Mm. Um, so that there are, there are many reasons for that. Um, that's not a normal sort of uh, length of time to be working on a book. So um, just going, going back to what you said about sort of being able to relate to it as a teenager, I did start writing this at age 18. So I was I wasn't too far away from from where Axel was. Mm. Um, so obviously my first main character ever, you know, debut novel. You put a little bit of yourself into. Of course, it's, of it's course. pretty common. Yeah, you you write what you know. Um, so I think probably part of the reason it took that long was I I wasn't ready to write a book at the age of eighteen. Mm. Um, I think I, I hear a lot of people talk about their writing experience, and they say, oh, you know, I, I discovered this talent at you know age eight, and I've been writing stories since then, and it's been my passion and. I feel kind of bad because that's not been my experience at all. I knew I was good at English at school, as in like words just came naturally to me. Um, so I was really good at English and I was really terrible at maths. And that was just kind of how it was. 
um, I wasn't a writer, really. I wasn't, it wasn't something I did for passion. Um, I wasn't engaged in storytelling as kind of uh, a concept. It was just kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm good at words and I write some articles for the school newsletter and it was all pretty mundane. Um, so I guess the the origins of, of Soul Tempest, the origins of the other world, um, it's, it's an odd journey. It all started with a sword, basically. Mm. I was at a conference um, and as I do, it's, it, it was a conference with a lot of lectures and I just sort of do little scribbles and doodles while, while I'm listening. And for, throughout my, um, the, the book that we were given to kind of take notes, I just drew this sword over and over again with this strange kind of bend in the handle. And I'm wondering where that came from. Maybe it's a little bit of Count Dooku from, from Star Wars. Um, he's got that kind of curved lightsaber, which is, I, I've always loved the design of that. Maybe there's something of that in there, but this one's a little different, but um, I don't know where it came from. It was just this <laughs> one sword over and over again. And I love the idea of holding it and swishing it around. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. Um, but I didn't think any more of it. That was just, oh, this is a nice little drawing. Um, and then uh, that was my gap year, uh, a, bit of, a bit of an unfocused time. Um, and I saw, oh man, so many readers are gonna hate me um, for, for saying this. I went and saw the Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief movie the one that everybody hates. Um, <laughs> I don't personally, but I won't go into it. Um, so I just went and saw it because I hadn't experienced the books. I just thought, oh, this is a fun fantasy movie. And then I came out of that movie and I was depressed for like half a week. I was just severely, just the world was gray and boring. And the main character of this movie had this exciting life where he lived at a camp and he, he had superpowers and he trained with swords. And I was like, why is my life? I'm just here. Just I don't have a job. I just finished school. I'm just going to go to an office. and I'm going to eat chips and go to bed and die. And that's just going to be my life. Um, so that was, that was an interesting little bit of um, late teenage angst I was having for a week. And then just out of nowhere, I just got hit with this idea. Well, why don't I write a book? I'm, I'm going to create my own world. I'm going to inhabit it. And I'm going to develop that world and that's going to be my release um and suddenly everything just flipped and suddenly i wasn't depressed anymore and suddenly i had this drive and this creative urge wow. to create something this huge world um so that's and of course it's an iterative process as books always are so i wrote the draft in a year went on to write the sequels um don't yeah just a bit of advice don't jump the gun if you haven't finished your first book <laughs> or maybe maybe it's okay to to go back and do a, a big edit but um I had an airport job um, a couple of years later, which was very, very, uh, not dull, but very quiet. So I had mm. time to sketch out pages and pages of notes on on characters and, and the world. And I built the basic plot. Um, the the sort of the big stopping point was I got a full time job in writing. So I was basically writing all day, every day. I was completely burned out on the concept and everything mm. just kind of ground to a halt in my personal time because I just didn't want to write anymore. Um, and then this book, because I just wasn't ready at that point, I didn't have the skills necessary. Um, it's been through so many drafts and so many rewrites. You're um, hurting me because this is too <laughs> real for me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's uh, oh man, that's one one lesson I've learned is that no no one can be their own filter. You know, you're always going to look back at your own writing and think, you know, this this needs to be better. This needs to be improved, and that's why beta readers exist. Um, books true. are collaborative, and I, I think that's okay. And eventually, you know, that's that's how, where the story is now. It's it's um, got to the point of self publishing. Um, 
it's been a it's pretty long road but i don't plan to make it quite that long for the next book you know of course <laughs> that's such a such an exciting origin story i love it um i can definitely relate on like the having a writing job and that just burns you out you spend your whole day mm. reading and writing with words and just you go home and it's just like i don't want to read another word today um and so that's really hard and then when you're working on something for so long as well for for 10 years how did you keep yourself invested in the project? Yeah, um, so as I say, um, I did go on to write, part, I wrote the whole sequel and then I wrote sort of part of the next one. Um, so obviously it hasn't just been straight working on this book the whole time. Um, so I'd say probably continuously Soul Tempest, the first book, it took about uh, two to three years to get to full sort of completion stage. Um, I think probably it was just the idea and I, I've seen a lot of um, writers say, you know, I've I started on this idea and I wrote 50 pages and I went on to something else. And that's a maybe I will get there if I start another project, but it's never happened for me. I've never, ever lost passion for this one concept. The ideas, even when I haven't been writing, uh, the ideas have always been there. I'm always just lying in bed at night and thinking, oh, wow, it'd be cool if Axel did this or wow, it'd be cool if, if there was a monster that could do this. Um, and I, I, can't even, I, I can't even say where that idea comes from. Maybe I'm just too in love with my own work, you know. But um, I'm really glad because publishing is, uh, especially self-publishing and, and writing a series is, is a massive amount of work and you need the passion. And I'm, I'm glad that's kind of stuck with me the whole time. Well, it's going to stick with your readers too because there, there's no doubt about that, that it translates. Like this is clearly a passion project and I mean, I, I think I think like going back to what you said about, your, you know, this this doodle of a sword and it's starting from that. Like, I feel like you owe it to yourself after 10 years. You should have like a replica of this sword made so that you, Stuart Greystone, can wield it now. It doesn't matter that you're not 18 anymore. It's fine. No one's going to keep track. <laughs> oh, man, you're putting some ideas in my head. <laughs> well that's once you once again you said uh this this whole process is collaborative so i hope so <laughs> yeah no but sure. it's i think what sticks um out to me so much about soul tempest <laughs> is axel he's such an interesting hero to me and that's because he's not the convent he doesn't admit, fit that conventional mold like He's not as competent as he could be or as he should be. And, you know, he struggles in school and he suffers these, you know, these delusions of grandeur um, because of his spirited imagination. And I just like it's so endearing. Like I, I want to like reach through the pages and give this guy a hug at every failure that he encounters. And, you know, that that's there's a, a realness and I think a maturity that comes with having lived with this character for you know the 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 there's a maturation process that has happened in your in your writing process um and like i come back to you know i said it earlier like it, it this has to have a little bit of you in it but like what do you hope other people see in axel and what about axel do you think is like the world needs from axel does that make sense Right. No, no, I think I, I think I do get your, what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so as, as I said, he was the first main character I ever created. You put a little bit of yourself in, in that sort of creation. Um, he's drifted away um, quite a bit, but he's still got bits and pieces of me. You know, I was a teenager when I was a creator. I was I was highly imaginative. I thought the world was quite gray and boring. Um, 
all pretty familiar to anyone who's read the book. Um, so uh, crucially, I think I wanted Axel to be the, I think TV Tropes calls it the jump to the call trope. Uh, so it's when there's no reluctance from a hero jumping into a, a, a new world or a new adventure. It's like he sees this world and it's got swords and it's got dragons. He's like two thumbs up, sorted. Yeah. Give it <laughs> to me now. I've been waiting for this. Yeah, like, absolutely. Oh, I could die at any moment. Oh, this is, oh I don't know. It's, it doesn't it matter. I've got swords. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he's just, he's sold from the first moment. Um, Big fireballs. I'm in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Fireballs are oh, they're, they're one of the best parts. So, um, and it gives him this really gung-ho attitude, like he jumps into danger. Um, he's very reckless and impulsive, um, which is, it's, it's pretty common for a, a fantasy hero. The, the idea I wanted to get across was he's doing it partly because, you know, he's, he's fundamentally a good person. He wants to help people, but also, maybe even more so, he thinks that's what a hero should do. Mm. He has this really warped idea of fantasy and storytelling and he thinks oh i'm the hero in this fantasy novel so i'm supposed to jump into danger i'm supposed to go be the big hero with the sword and the fireball and oh i'm saving the day um uh, he's yeah it's it's quite a dangerous warped view of the way the world should be he doesn't he thinks the world works on storybook rules mm. um and i wanted this book and by extension the series to be something of a rude awakening for him um, he's living it. He's living the dream. He's living the fantasy life that he's he's always wanted. But that's, for one thing, he's not the cool, competent hero that he's supposed to be. He's not the cool, competent hero he thinks he is. Mm. Um, he um, he has so many failings, and he he's not um, he's not living up to his own expectations. Um, but that's all. It's also just, that's just life. Life is complicated, even in a world that you think has everything you want. There's still the day to day. There's still danger. Mm. Um, you can't just have this this storybook thing where the heroes always win and, and the hero and he's he can't be like the Marty Stu with the you know the the complete control over his powers and, and everyone all the girls want him and whatever um, that's that's something that evolved a lot throughout the drafts um, originally he was I suppose uh, he never quite had good control over his powers but he still sort of accomplished his goals in a way Whereas I've taken that a lot away from him. He's a bit of a failure hero now. Mm. Um, when he comes up against sort of multiple monster attacks, um, he he sort of almost gets there, but he has a lack of control, so he stacks it. Um, uh, he's He's got, you know, he even though he's at an academy where he's learning about the fantasy world and he's supposed to be, um, you know, doing it... it, it there's this um, one thing I developed where he's sitting in a classroom and yes, the classroom is teaching him about stuff that he should love, but it's still a classroom. It's still a lecture hall. So he still uh, doesn't pay attention. He still gets terrible marks. He's still just, he's not a writer. He's, he's bad at spelling, you know, all those things from his normal life still bleed in. Mm. Um, and he has to really wrestle with that at one stage. That's a message I wanted to get across in the first book. It's it's this incredible world full of danger and adventure, and it's in some ways everything that Axel wanted it to be. But it comes with a cost. It's not it's not all fun. It's not all fun in games. It's something he has to grapple with. I just I found myself so drawn into Axel's mind as someone who has such a vivid imagination, and like it can like I think pretty much everyone, particularly fantasy readers can relate to that like the world is boring and i wish there was just a bit of magic like um you know i need to grab the remote i'm gonna try to use the force 
but um yeah so it just like just pulls you in as like this lover of fantasy to see a character who just like relates you can relate to on such a deep level um but axel's imagination is like is so strong but in some ways it kind of leaves him isolated it's like this um double-edged sword where it's everything he wanted is here but he's still being caught up in his imagination and yeah it, it leaves him kind of like alone sometimes how do you think that axel feels about his own imagination is it does he see it as kind of like this boon and curse i think one, one of the elements i um i sort of grappled with during the writing of the first book was how does axel's imagination now mesh with the world because uh, when you you spend all your time in a boring school lesson and in a boring suburban life and you're thinking about these these incredible concepts and you're trying to escape which is what he does he he very um powerfully sort of escapes into the world of his mind um but w what happens when you're in that world um do you still need that sort of escape so he his his gift his his power of having this vivid imagination it allows him to escape the mundanity but now he is in a, this other world void of the mundane to a degree so like it almost like resets it recalibrates and we as humans like if we get x stimulus over and over and over and over again we just become numb to it so then we need x plus 1 or two times X. And now all of a sudden, like our, it, it, it takes more to evoke the same visceral response. And I imagine like he can only keep going deeper, deeper, deeper into his imagination. That's, that's got to separate him from his peers. If he's always trying to escape this mundanity. And I, I guess that's the heart of what I found so intriguing about Axel it's like yeah, this concept of you're either running to or running from something and I feel like for him it's a bit of both all the time uh would is that um like how does how does that question kind of resonate for you yeah I think I like this um uh this sort of interpretation of him escaping a bit um even though you know he might live in a world where there are, dra where there are dragons now he still um, finds solace in this because he's still facing challenges. As I said, he's still um, he's still grappling with a lot of sort of very mundane real world things. Like he's not great at his academy work. Um, he is very afraid of what he can do as in terms of his powers. Um, and he thinks he's supposed to be this, you know, incredible fantasy warrior hero. But he's at the bottom of the class when it comes to controlling his superpower. That's really that hits him really hard. And that's so mm. tough. He has to deal with that. So he goes into his mind and he's like, he's, he's imagines himself sort of semi himself. He always just rearranges his name and gives it to a fantasy hero because he's terrible at naming things. <laughs> um, so he, he imagines himself in this scenario that is, oh, everything's fine and everything's working the way it should in a storybook. And he's the fantasy hero is standing there with the sword and is beating the bad guy. And, and maybe he, even in a world that has fantastical elements, he still finds solace and escape in his mind because it's like okay things aren't quite working the way they should in the world i'm in right now so i'll just i'll make my own version you know where things are as they should and powers don't threaten your friends um and i think that that becomes a little it's a little bit of a gear shift but it becomes a little bit more of an escape for him in that mm. in that sense 
Uh, yeah, I, I love reading those moments where he kind of goes into his own head and is telling these stories of just altered versions of himself, the anagrams. And um, I love how you touched on that he's terrible at naming things. Probably my favourite instance of that is, I think it is an insert name of horse here. Yeah. His horse, his trusty steed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it just perfectly encapsulates how vivid and strong his imagination is. Yeah, and I think there's there's, there's a slight bit of um, uh, writing touched on there when someone can be very good at coming up with concepts, but actually when it comes to the naming of things, naming is hard sometimes. It is. It's really hard. I'd, yeah. I'd say it's the hardest thing that we do. Like, I, how... I, okay, quick aside. How long was Soul Tempest on, like, an unnamed, just, like, sword story? Like, or, you know, how long before it earned its title? Soul Tempest as an idea um, and as a as a title actually came to me very quickly, but that was because I I knew it was going to be based around Soul. Um, I wanted Soul as a base concept, and Tempest is um, one of my favorite words. So that's I very cool words. It's a great word. Simple. Yeah, um, Tempest. Oh, actually, my favorite word at the time was Tempestuous, and I couldn't fit that into the title. So I was like, <laughs> okay, well, I'll just take Soul and Tempest and put them together. There was no concept attached to it at the time at all. It was just two cool words, and it's like, what a, what about a tempest that's made of soul? And it didn't mean anything because these some often these things start off with a title and then they get meaning later. So that's kind of how that came about. Mm. Um, many, many, many other names within the story uh, have been workshopped and chopped and changed, and they've been uh, had placeholders for ages. And then eventually on draft eight, I've gonna done a you know control replace um and been like okay well i guess this character who i've known for years now just has a different name because the original one i chose was terrible <laughs> but, you know that's that's writing for you that is for sure and yeah it, it it's all a circle a a, <laughs> a circle we've talked mm. about uh josh and i have talked about the, the i'm stuck in a revision loop like <laughs> <laughs> and the the command f control f find and replace like it is a a very necessary part but the, the detailing that you have like all of that work all of that time all of that maturation it has really allowed for such a a depth a level of depth and breadth that this other world has um and the fact that like it's hidden amongst our own, our very own world um, is, I think, the most engaging, intriguing, enticing part for me. Like, it's it's right there. Like, I should be able to see this, you know, crystalline dragon breathing fireballs, or I should be able to see this giant ice octopus, but I can't. And this is where, like, ah, just the other world, it's how do you even explore something that with that which you can't see? How, how did you come to inhabit this, um, you know, in plain sight, invisible world with all these like incredible creatures? Yeah, I, I absolutely love the hidden world trope. It's, mm. it's one of my favorite things in writing. All of my writing influences have this trope in play. Um, I think I, the reason I love it is, is just simply because um, you've got kind of a contemporary world. It's our world, but also there's this world that's right there. You can step into it at any time. Um, you've got, you know, you one minute you're in New York and the next minute there's, you know, there's, there's this hidden world of fantasy and magic. And oh, it's just, oh, yeah, it gets me up in the morning. It's so good. 
Um, and I think a, a lot of people would um, take things in a little bit of a different direction. Some people like the Middle Earth, you know, stepping into an entirely new plane of existence and, oh, look, everyone's drinking from goblets and there's no Wi-Fi. Uh, but I'm not quite so into that side of things. Um, I think I like the mesh of the hidden world and the, the contemporary mm. world living living next to each other. And there's, there's lots of ways you can do it as well. Um, my guiding principle um, which is so difficult to follow. And I think it's, it's no one's ever going to do it perfectly. But my guiding principle for writing a fantasy world is take every opportunity, um, which I'll expand upon. Um, for example, you, when you have a fantasy world, when you have just any sort of world building in general, I think maybe maybe every author could do this to some degree, but fantasy worlds especially, you need to take every opportunity you can to show your world to show your your magic system if you have one. Um, there's every single chapter, every single paragraph, there's an opportunity to be showing part of what you've created. Why just have a dragon when you can have a dragon plus plus plus? <laughs> why, why would I have a scene that's set in the Canadian Rockies where I have never been, which originally was in, in part of the draft, when I could actually, I've mentioned whole nations that take place, like hidden nations in my world. Why not have my character explore one of those instead? Mm. Um, and this is a, it's such a difficult thing to, to keep in your mind as you're writing, but it's, it's so important. And so that's part of how this world has grown, um, during the writing of, of Soul Tempest, during the writing of the Soul Tempest series as well. So early drafts, it was, it was pretty stock standard. You know, you got your hidden fantasy world, humans can't see it, blah, 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 um, monsters and superpowers, um, the, the basic elements. Um, and then things were added, you know, oh, there's a nation, of course, oh, there's a there's an island nation, and then, then there's a floating island, and oh, yeah, that's that's nice. It was a bit of a fantasy kitchen sink, as you might say. <laughs> um, there's some, you know, there's some elf people, there's some uh, magic-esque uh, users uh, hidden in the mountains, and, you know, little bits and pieces. The key idea that really began to shape the world was this idea of cognition, uh, the mm. fact that the world itself is shaped by people's minds, people's imaginations, their thoughts and their memories. Um, so suddenly the tempest, which is the um, the giant uh, storm that essentially covers the entire world. Um, that is uh, originally it just kind of spat out monsters as in like just monsters. Look, it's just a monster. You don't think about it. Um, but then I thought, okay, well, if the tempest actually absorbs memories and emotions um, and and thoughts from the people um, on the, across the planet, so what does it do with those things? Mm. So I got this idea of oh, what if creatures are actually that's why there are dragons or dragon-like creatures in the first place because they are legends. People are thinking about them all the time. So the tempest is uh, when it's crafting a monster, it takes a little bit of dragon. And, oh, it's World War II at this time, so lots of people are thinking about war and they're, they're, they're afraid. So it takes their fear and it takes their thoughts of war and it takes this idea of a dragon and it mashes them all together and creates like this mechanical dragon with, with sort of tank-like elements. Hmm. Um, so that's, um, and once you've kind of got that, that is, that is like a goldmine of creativity um, in terms of like, you, I have no excuse not to create things that aren't interesting because where do you... <laughs> Where can't you go from that? So this, um, that's why a lot of my, so I was, I was kind of given a, a blank slate to create things that were based off real world mythology, but I could mix them up in, in whatever way I wanted. And so for the rest of the series, it became a goldmine. So I thought, what about the most famous creatures and, and 
legends in the world? What about Santa Claus? What about Anansi, the spider goddess? What about um, the four celestial beings from Chinese mythology? What? How many people are thinking about those? They are legends known throughout the world. So what does that create? So that's where I had the idea of the monarchs, who are the most powerful beings in the world um, by virtue of so many people, you know, thinking about them and and then passing into ultimate global legend. So they are monarchs. They're, they're the 14 most powerful beings in the world who rule over their own sort of domain. And then I got to thinking, okay, what about legendary people? As in like, is the Tempest just spitting out, you know, Joan of Arc and, and Massimune and what, how does that work? So that's how I got the idea of incarnates who are, you know, the Tempest saves um, versions of legendary people as sort of blueprints, as, as their essence. And it mm. throws, essentially just spits them out onto people and they become bonded with this kind of um, unstable, superpowered um, alter ego with really disastrous results. <laughs> so I, yeah, that's, everything, everything just kind of spiraled from there. Um, and I kind of have my world that is shaped by cognition, which is really hard to keep hold of because it's so broad. But um, I, at least, as I said, I don't have any excuse not to make things that are interesting from that concept. Wow. I, I love that. That is so cool. That's just like unlimited potential. How do you like narrow down what you want to focus on, what you want to take? Like, is it just like something pops into your head and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about dragons. I should bring dragons into it. Or are you like actively sitting down and looking for cool things to bring into the story um it's uh, i sort of it has to be ruled by the uh, i sort of constrained by the plot to a degree so i think okay i need them to to face a challenge here um what are they facing what is the monster where did that come from um so and then uh, you can it's um it's sort of all right because you can start off with a base template of okay what about a goblin um, but it's not just a goblin. Where did this goblin come from? Um, what is it a mix of? Um, and so you can sort of start to start to build up the threats. You can build up what what they're facing from from that sort of thing. But as you say, yeah, if if anyone has any tips to to narrow this down, it's 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 so much to. Um, and that's why I say like take every opportunity. Um, I have uh, I have to. Uh, I think it's it's an iterative process throughout drafts. Is just. Why am I? Why have I got this? These characters just facing basically, um, you know, uh, a naga from from mythology. Why is it just a naga? Can it be something else? Can it be a naga that is uh, that is unique to this part of the world um, because these people have faced a tragedy? And so the idea of a naga got mixed with this sort of fallout from this tragedy, and it created something, some sort of hybrid. Um, yeah, so there's there's all sorts of ways you can you can play with it, and it's uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a good good time while writing. Yeah, I can only yeah. imagine, right? Like, I, I it reminds me a lot of like this concept of cognitive. I, I don't even what would the word be? It's like it's a cognitive mutation, right? So we take something that we know we can physically and mentally think about, and we can picture, and then you put it in a blender with some other other factors not even you know fast or of or, or thoughts emotions when you add in the emotional element i just feel like anything is like to your point anything is possible and like i it makes talking to you now i'm like of course axel thinks this way like of course he does like it 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 shows and I, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is is the scene in the Matrix where Morpheus is like, yeah, just download some Kung Fu into you. And it's just like, 
this is the world is like absorbing and creating the, the other world rather is absorbing real people's thoughts and emotions creating and then expounding upon itself like making things that were once not even combinations people would think about and 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 making them realities um with that to your to quote you devastating consequences like this is something that just allows for such a deep exploration and your your magic system and your your world building they just work so well together and i i really want to talk about this because i think this is one of the the like the greatest strengths and the most unique thing that like this genre needs because like this is revolutionary you have you know, the characters having their own unique weaponry or in, in Soul Tempest, the Arma, as well as their mastery. And that develops over time. So like these superpowers, they 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 match the character like it, it has there's an emotional connection, a mental connection. It feels like it fits the person and the person fits the power. So like, how did you come up with how with this? Because it, it just it feels like too perfect a marriage to not have been so intentional so talk to us about like the abilities and the weapons of each character and like how how that all came to fruition sure um i've always loved unique powers um you know common enough trope but there's a lot of things you can do with it and i've always loved unique weapons so i thought hey it's, this is my series why don't i have both um so basically i i i knew from the start i wanted to use soul as a basis like the the power of the soul um, so, which I think it gives them even uh, a powerful connection to who they are as a person. So, um, but however, I don't think that's unique to me. I think fantasy of all kinds, um, special abilities have to be treated like character traits. Um, uh, in a sense, you know, if, if you have a character who is, this is just talking about any fantasy, who controls water or, or a character who can teleport, um, you don't have to fall into stereotypes, but the character having that power should tell us a bit about them. How do they use that power? How did they uh, get that power? How do, is it a huge part of who they are? Um, and I think that's that's a really powerful thing for fantasy is that now that people have special abilities or or, or weapons or or both in my case, um, you can you can tell a little bit about the person just by the way they have this power and by the way they use it. You know, if someone wields an axe or a shield. You know, that's you'd think you'd get two different types of people if your soul is uh, if your soul is made into a physical form and it creates a shield. What what is what does that say about you? Mm. Um, so that's um, that's something I, I like to play with. Um, but it was of course it was important. It was just a common enough trope, so I was kind of wanted to put my own spin on it. In terms of the the powers um, or the the masteries as they're called in my book, I knew from the start I wanted enormous power you know there's uh i didn't want great amounts of uh well i suppose yes every every power system needs limits but i i wanted this to be a very much a higher tier um essentially um it's it's not it's not just an excuse for it to have dragon ball style fights in my books um those are fun but it's this <laughs> is a solid part of the world like it's really a part of this world that so many people wield so much enormous amount of power and that's something that the characters have to grapple with it's a real threat um and just going back to what we said before about cognition obviously that affects mastery as well a person's mastery is 
it gives them mastery over a concept and the limits of that are set by their own minds. Um, so that, that becomes an, a pretty dicey thing to write uh, because power scaling has something that a lot of people love to talk about, um, if you like, in that sense. Um, it, be it becomes quite difficult to deal with. Um, but I wanted this, uh, this kind of liberal system where people could develop along with their powers. Um, there's this huge amount of versatility within every power, as in no one person has one power. It's, they have this mastery over a whole concept. They can do all sorts of things, um, but they, they have mastery over their own domain as well. It's very much unique. Something I quite like is um, the X-Men have always been my favorite superheroes. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because of the team element. Everyone kind of does their own thing. Um, they have uh, they have a specialty, and you know some of them fly, and some of them shoot lasers, and some of them have claws. You know, it's kind of the same same type of deal. Um, so it, within the world of world of Soul Tempest, you've got adults who've had the uh, this power for a great deal of time. They've trained their minds to stretch within the limits of what they can what they can do and what can, they can achieve, and so they have this incredible power. To the younger characters, they're like basically demigods, they are city destroying monsters, but it scales with the threats that they face within the book. So yes, the adults have a great deal of power, but also they're fighting uh, these sort of frighteningly powerful creatures and villains and criminals who have these same powers as well. So it's uh, it's not like they can just bulldoze any, any threat they face. Um, I do realize this is like uh, the sort of the writing equivalent of immediately jumping into an F1 kind of car and going full pelt um, not that it's superior to any sort of writing. Obviously, in this, um, you've got Charles Dickens on his, you know, on his penny farthing writing um, Great Expectations. Obviously, I'm vastly greater writer than I will ever be. Um, but the pace of his stories, and you know, they're very much set in the real world. And I don't think, to my knowledge, there's any character in Great Expectations who could burn a city with their mind. Um, I'm willing to be corrected on that one. Um, Not that I recall, <laughs> and I feel like I would remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like that would have been a very different story. Um, whereas I'm in this F1 vehicle, and I've given myself this these people who can do anything. Um, and I just, like, this is a great amount of power to be wielding, but if I turn the steering wheel slightly, I'll go smashing into a wall and everything just collapses. Um, I can't just, you know... I can't have a scene where, oh no, a dragon's attacking a city. Oh, it's terrible. But also, it's a good thing I wrote a chapter, one like one chapter beforehand, where someone can summon meteors by snapping their fingers. Um, I'll just have I'll just sick meteor snap finger guy on the dragon, and it'll be fine. Um, or oh no, the main characters need to get to this place, and it's really far away. It's a good thing in the previous book I said that one of them can teleport any amount of people anywhere in the world. I'll just have teleporting person get them there. Um, that's fantasy though, right? Um, every fantastical element to your story is both a problem and a solution at the mm. same time. So you just gotta, even within a world where people have this much power, you have, uh, even within a world where the power is, is based on cognition, it's based on their sort of ability to, to stretch their imagination and think, um, about what they can do. You still have to set limits. Um, you still, and that's, that's how you kind of create the uh, the problem and solution at the same time. I think that's a great quote. I feel like that could be on a fortune cookie. Or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I love the kind of what you touched on, like the power balancing and how everyone is, is so strong in this world, but like it it does balance out because while their powers are different, they kind of like 
match against each other. No one is necessarily significantly more powerful than anyone else. But what it gives you is this world where you have these epic battles with these terrifying, huge monsters. And um, it's just like the kind of thing that I know a lot of our readers will just adore that like uh, a teacher can have a table thrown at him and just shrug it off. And, you know, it's fantasy. Like, and as long as you don't have that power level issue where you have characters that are just outclassing each other significantly why not have fun with that kind of concept and that high power thing hmm. it, it, it I... just it's it's so it's a world i want to live in it's a world i want to see lived in and it takes power to create a world like this so you have you are a very very you're an f1 type power in this and in, in in this writing industry in this uh self-published market like people need to look out for the name Stuart Greystone this has been so op- like eye-opening so enlightening and I I think people are really really going to love not just the people that you've put into this world not just the world that you've put together for these people but the the combination and uh I just encourage I encourage you to keep doing what you're doing because you are a force and I encourage everyone who ever gets the chance, uh, grab yourself a copy of soul tempest and, uh, links can be found in the podcast description. So check it out, support him. And Stuart, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed your time with us and you just, thank you so much for all, all that you've shared. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, I've um, I've enjoyed every second. So thank you so much for 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 the invitation. Um, just before we finish up, is there anything else you wanted to share with us about this world or your career as a writer? Um, just quickly. Yeah. Okay. So the the overall thing, which I briefly touched on before, uh, you need passion for this. Um, I think whether you whether you go down a self publishing route or a traditional publishing route, uh, books are so much work. Uh, but it is so much reward at the end as well. Um, so that's uh, of my very odd piece of advice is just, if you don't have passion, get some passion or, you know, find a project that really, uh, really excites you um, because, you know, you will live in that world and you will you will learn to love that world. You will learn to love those characters um, and it becomes a part of you, I think. Um, and I think that's, that's that will carry you through. Um, to publishing or, or how, wherever you want to go with your writing. So find what you're passionate about um, because it is so worth it in the end. That's great advice. And thanks for sharing that. And clearly it's gotten you far and we are sure it will continue to <clears throat> take you further in your career. Um, congrats on your debut. This, this book is truly something special and we can't wait to see where it goes in the future and where your career goes. Thank you. All right. Well, this has been the Conclave cast. Thank you to our special guest, Stuart Greystone. We hope you have enjoyed your time with us today. And to our listeners, we hope you enjoy and we'll see you next time.